You can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, my name is Rob Collis, and I'm on our pastoral team, and it's a joy to be here with you today. Uh, I wasn't originally meant to be the one to preach today. Uh, there was some back and forth on our, on our pastoral team, and uh, it turned out that I was the one who had the capacity to write a sermon this week. So I'm here. <laughs> Someone's excited. Thank you. Um, whenever I'm preparing to go on a journey, especially like for a road trip, I, find, I, I like to find something to, to listen to for the journey. Anyone else do that? Just kind of create a road trip playlist. Yes, there's a few of us. Some of you are in denial. Some of you just press random on, on Spotify, which can be fun. But um, for me, for a road trip playlist, it can be anything, right? It can be uh, some podcasts I've been wanting to listen to for a while. It can be like some favorite albums, some favorite artists, even an audiobook. And my wife, Taya, is an expert at creating road trip playlists. Uh, the first time we ever went on a road trip together, she spent all this time crafting the perfect playlist. And as we got into the car and we were just getting ready to set off, she was about to hit play and said, actually, wait one second, I need to play something for you. And you know how on the radio you get those like obnoxious um, little audio tags and intros, like the air horns and everything? She, she'd made one of those. And she hits play, and all of a sudden I hear these air horns going, burr, 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 kind of like those, those uh, blowers we have today. And all of a sudden I hear the DJ Taya. It was amazing, <laughs> and it made for an amazing playlist, too. We had a great time. Uh, today, I want us to spend some time in Psalm 126. Uh, the book of Psalms is the largest collection of writings in the whole Bible, and the Psalms are songs. They're, they're poems and prayers which people have written and prayed and sung to God. And, and there's different types of Psalms throughout this book. Um, they, they can match different occasions and, and seasons and emotions and experiences we have in life. But Psalm 126 is in a section that we call the Psalms of Ascent. Now, the Psalms of Ascent, they refer to Psalms 120 to 134. And they're called this because they were kind of like the road trip playlist for the ancient Israelites. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God instructed his people to make a pilgrimage three times a year to go to Jerusalem. And in Exodus chapter 23, it says, three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, which is Passover. Celebrate the festival of harvest. It's called the festival of weeks. And celebrate the festival of ingathering, which is the festival of booths or tents, at the end of the year. Three times a year, all the men will, are appeared before the sovereign Lord God. So three times a year, the people of Israel used to travel to Jerusalem. And it was this pilgrimage to, to come before the temple and, and to be in the presence of God. And on their journeys, they would sing these songs. They repeat these psalms together, back and forth. And they would say them, they would sing them every single time. And three times a year, they would rehearse and remember how God had met them over the years. And how God had been faithful to them as a people. And as they journeyed together, they, they would remember all the ways that God had met them along the way. And today marks our church's 10-year anniversary, which we've already been celebrating. And I know we'll do, Phil mentioned we'll be doing more of this in the year to come. But as we take stock of the journey we've been on together as a church, it seemed fitting to me that we would spend, turn our attention today to the Psalms of Ascent, and especially to Psalm 126. So as we sit in this psalm today, I want for us to enter into this song and to focus on the journey that this psalm points us to. And as we do that, I want to explore three things together. I want to explore what is the journey, where is the journey, and when is the journey. 
the what, where, when, it's really easy for you to remember, because that's all the questions you're supposed to ask of any good thing when you're doing an investigation into anything, especially for a school assignment, so you've done this before. What is the journey? Let's begin with this. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up with me, uh, turn it on, illumine your face with the, the glowing uh, light of God's word upon your face. Someone just got their first point on Rob's preaching bingo. Uh, <laughs> two of you did. And as we read this, I want to read this, I want you to imagine reading this together like the crowds did when they were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And to do that, just like we did before with Natasha reading, I want you to um, join with me in reading this together. So again, I've got this in the bold on the screen, so join in the bold with me. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Just imagine a whole crowd of people, pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, saying this to each other, back and forth. They're journeying together to God's temple, to the presence of God on earth to celebrate his work in their lives. And as they go, they're singing this song. What's it about? What's, what's this song about? Well, it's a song about the unexpected delight of God's work in the lives of the Israelites. They say in verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Or if you've got your Bible in front of you, you might have a slightly different translation. It might say, when the Lord brought back our captives, we were like those who dreamed. And it can be translated either way in the Hebrew. It's got some flexibility in how you understand it. And actually... Seeing that it, it has brought back our captives is really helpful for this psalm. Because they weren't recalling just some vague general blessings or, or well-being that was going on in their life. When they sang this song together, they were remembering something that had happened in history. Something real and concrete. They were recalling how God had worked in history and how the Israelites had once been captives in slavery. And there were two moments in, in the history of ancient Israel when this happened, you know, one time was not enough to, to go into captivity. So the first was, in the, where, in, was when they were slaves in Egypt. And God led them out of slavery by the hand of Moses. And that's a really important moment in the life of the Israelites, in the life of God's people. And that's what the whole book of Exodus is really about. And there are references to this moment all throughout the scriptures. And I think they definitely had this moment in mind when they said this psalm together. But there was also a second moment when God led them out of captivity. You see, God's people were also taken as into exile and into captivity by the Babylonians. And I think it was especially this second captivity that this psalm is recalling to mind. Both because some other psalms explicitly reference Babylon, and also because there seems to be this remnant group that was left behind. They say, when the Lord brought back our captives, there's this restoring work that the people experience. Right? There's an implicit group that were present to see and receive God's work, the, the restoration and the bringing back of their fortunes, of, of those people who had been taken away. And this restoring work, it was completely unexpected. It was completely unexpected. When it happens, they say, we were like those who dreamed. There's that feeling of, of utter disbelief, one of those experiences in life which just feel too good to be true. And you look at someone else and you say, hey, pinch me. I actually landed that job. I got that contract. I actually finished this degree. 
Taylor Swift has actually decided to finally come to Vancouver for the Eras tour? I must be dreaming. And clearly one of those things is not quite like the others. But God did an amazing and unexpected work in their lives. They had once been captives in Babylon, but God freed them and brought them home. And when they realized it wasn't a dream, their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with songs of joy. And others saw what God had done in their midst. They saw and they looked and said, wow, God really has done great things for you. And the ancient Israelites could only say back, yeah, the Lord really has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. This was a clear and tangible moment that God's people would look back to. As they journeyed towards Jerusalem, they would sing about this over and over again. And recalling their past journey kept bringing more context to this current journey that they were on. They were heading to Jerusalem to celebrate what God had done. And this song, it, it, as they sang it, it brought more texture to their remembrance. There was something tangible to remember and to recall. And it gave a depth to their praise. And there's two journeys happening in this song, aren't there? The first one was that ancient journey where God's people were led out of captivity. Went from captivity to freedom. And actually, it happened twice, right? And then there's a second journey. It's, it's the pilgrimage journey, where the people were, were traveling to Jerusalem, which is going to come up now. There we go. It's, it's kind of like this, this meta journey that they were on, right? As the pilgrims rehearsed this psalm together to celebrate as they were going to Jerusalem. And that's great. There's these two journeys that the psalm's talking about. But that's not really the journey that we're on together, is it? The Christian life, it's often referred to as a pilgrimage, the journey of faith as we seek after God. But our pilgrimage, it's different than the one that the people in ancient Israel were taking when they went to Jerusalem. Our pilgrimage journey isn't going to Jerusalem. It's the journey of growing closer to God and pursuing after him, of drawing closer to Jesus and knowing him. It's navigating those ups and the downs of life and the feelings of closeness and distance from God but still pressing on. It's the pilgrim journey of faith. It's the long obedience in the same direction, slowly growing in Christ-likeness, as God does his slow healing and reconciling work in our lives, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and draws us ever closer to himself. We could say it like this. Our pilgrim journey is one of discovering and of rediscovering the goodness of God with us. Hopefully a similar thing to something you've heard around this church before. As we walk along this journey of faith, we find that we also look back to the work that God has done. The, the author Phyllis McGinley, she once said, I have read that during the process of canonization, that is declaring someone to be a saint, the Catholic Church demands proof of joy in the candidate. And although I've not been able to track down chapter and verse, I like the suggestion that Darwinus is not a sacred attribute. The Christian life, it's a journey of seeing God's unexpected goodness and his work in our lives. And it's, it's a journey of remembering those moments when God's shown up. Those moments when we were like those who dreamed, when our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. You see, the experience of God's unexpected, unlooked-for work in our lives it's marked and it's tinged by joy. Not, not a joy we muster up, 
but a joy which just kind of springs up of its own accord, which comes as a gift from God as he does something in us. That joy is the response of our hearts to him. So what is the journey? Well, it's twofold. First, it's the journey of how God has brought us out of captivity and led us into freedom found in him. And second, this journey is our, our own pilgrim journey of seeking after God, of walking along this, this long obedience in the same direction as we discover and rediscover the goodness of God with us. And there's this expectation in Scripture that in both of these journeys, we are somehow marked by joy. And that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes there are times in life where it's hard to feel joy. We've seen the watch of this journey, but I think we also need to explore where is this journey? Where does this journey find us? And where does this journey lead us? Let's keep reading in verse 4. And again, I invite you to say this responsibly with me. Verse 4 of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. So they're on this pilgrimage, and they're remembering what God has done. And as they're recalling what God has done over and over and over again each and every year, they start wanting to see God do it again. They start wanting to see God do it again, and there's a yearning and a longing to see God come and do another unexpected work in their midst. And do you, do you see, where do they want God to come and do it again? Where do they want God to come and do it again? They say, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Now, the Negev is an important part of our journey. The word Negev, it means dry or parched land. And it's actually the name of a desert, which feels kind of fitting, right, to call it a desert dry and parched land. It's an arid and dry place. And it's in that place, that dry and parched land, that they're wanting to see God come and do it again to come and meet them in the Negev. Because that's often where we find ourselves in this journey. Experiencing dryness and hurt and discomfort. Experiencing the harshness and the difficulty of life. They find themselves walking through the Negev. And the whole community walked through the Negev on this journey. And all those individuals experienced the Negev for themselves too. And I, I want to dwell on this just a little bit, because this is a real experience for us on our journey of faith. As individuals and as a community, there are times in life where we live in Negev. Negev in our own lives, as we experience hurt and pain, disappointment and loss, difficulty and opposition. And there are times when a community can feel this way too. When a whole people, when a whole church experiences Negev. See, the Christian life, it's not an escape from experiencing Negev. We will walk through Negev. The thing is, as Christians, there's hope for us when we do. There's hope for us when we do. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Some tells us that there's hope in Negev. Hope to call out to God and see him come and work again. 
They wanted to see God come and meet them in the Gev. They wanted to see God come and do the impossible and bring rain and life to a desert. To create streams of flowing water in a dry and parched land. And the thing is, this isn't some pipe dream here. It's not some fantasy hope disconnected from reality. There's precedent for this. Because not only has God already done an impossible and an unexpected work in another place before, but the geography of the Negev actually suggests that it's rained before and that water could flow again. You see, the Negev has these water channels running through it. They're called wadis, the, the dry riverbeds. And there's a dry riverbed running through the desert. What does that mean? It means it's a place where water has flowed before. The land, it's dry year-round, but there's these unexpected moments that always seem to happen. It rains. And when the rains come, it pours. It pours and it becomes this flash flood and pours into all these wadis. And this points to something that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 35. He said, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. When the rain comes, this parched land is glad. And life will blossom and it will burst into bloom. This journey, it happens in unexpected places. In the midst of dry and arid places in our own lives. And the psalm is longing for God to come and burst into those dry areas of our lives, the places which feel parched and needing refreshment. And there's a precedent that God does this. There's a precedent that he does it because he's in the business of showing up in this way because there are channels in the desert for the water to flow. And suddenly, suddenly God brings his rain and brings forth life. And so the psalmist cries out, God, come and do it again. Come and meet me in the Gev. And the pilgrims on their journey cry, God, you've done so much already. Won't you come and do it again? Won't you come, bring life and vitality and joy to this arid place in our lives? Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. There's a cry for hope, for God to come and do it again. And then it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. What does that mean? It's difficult to say exactly, but it seems to point to the realness of life, to to how God meets us in the reality of living. See, God isn't interested in us escaping from reality. The Christian life, it's not about escape. There there are these critics who who say that religion is just the opiate of the masses, a way to to feel better about life amidst the struggle of life and and to escape from our reality. But I don't think they've ever actually, people who say that, I don't think they've reckoned with what Christianity has to say on this point. Because we sow with tears. We sow with tears. And our tears are real. And they're important. And there's been some good reasons for tears over the last few years. Friends, we've lived through a pandemic. That's not reason enough for crying. I don't know what is. But on top of that, life kept going, right? Life kept going and people have died and people have left and people have hurt us. 
And sometimes we're the ones who hurt others too. And as a church, we've had our hopes and our dreams of, of our merger with Emmanuel not go the way that we thought it would. We've had a sea of change in our own church. We've had reasons to cry. Reasons for tears. And those tears are important. Psalm 56.8 says, Record my misery. God, record my misery. Put my tears in your bottle. See, our tears are precious. And they are seen by God, and they are collected, and they are held by him. So Pastor Eugene Peterson, he once said, one of the most interesting and remarkable things Christians learn is that laughter does not exclude weeping. Christian joy, he says, is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come. But they are unable to drive out the happiness of the redeemed. So often, we try and hide from our tears. We run away from them. We try and experience joy by, by running away from all those things that would cause the tears. And we do that by eliminating the things that can hurt us, right? We, we numb ourselves to pain. We avoid risk. We detach ourselves from others. And then when we experience the boredom that follows from those kinds of choices, we try to buy joy. We try to buy joy in the form of pleasure and experiences. But this psalm rejects that way of living. In fact, if anything, this psalm suggests that our capacity to experience joy only seems to increase when we actually deal and have a real engagement with our sorrow. Peterson goes on to say, laughter, a result, laughter is a result of living in the midst of God's great works. Enjoyment is not an escape from boredom, but a plunge by faith into God's work. There is plenty of suffering on both sides, past and future. The joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears and in his resurrection work, create the smile of a new life. Joy is what God gives, not what we work up. Friends, our, our journey finds us in the realness of life. Our pilgrimage journey, it happens in the, in the ups and in the downs, both where we weep where we rejoice. Our journey happens as we walk through Negev, and as it gives a, our journey, it gives us a living hope, as we do, to face those dry and painful places in our lives and to bathe them in tears, trusting that God sees those tears and he meets us there. And he will come and he will do his work even there. So we looked at the what? We've looked at the where. Finally, I want to turn to the when of our journey. You see, there's this seasonal nature to this journey of faith that we're on. It comes in seasons. And as I said earlier, these Psalms of Ascent, they were said three times a year. Three times a year, they would make this journey to Jerusalem and recall these deeds of old. So the, the very journey of singing this song, this meta journey, right, had happened amidst changing seasons whether they felt like it or not, they would sing this song. They would sing this song and remember what God had done. But even within this psalm, it points to seasons and the passing of time. When it says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev, to know that the dry riverbeds are meant for streams of flowing water. Yeah, we, we could be geologists and do this geological study of the land and say, 
oh, I think a river used to flow through this, this, this thing here. But that's not what the psalmist did. Now, the psalmist says, restore us like the streams of the Negev. Because they had lived in the Negev. They'd lived in the Negev and they'd seen the streams of water sweeping through the land. They'd experienced the shifting of the seasons. When it talks about sowing with tears and reaping with songs of joy, when you sow tears, when you sow seeds, you have to wait through changing seasons for that crop to grow, right? You don't harvest as you sow. You you sow, and then, then you wait, and then you harvest. And the joy we experience with those changing seasons, the joy of rain, the joy of harvest, that joy is only increased and deepened by experiencing its lack. We have to go through famine to understand and realize the joy of harvest. We need to have experienced the dryness of parched land to have known the joy that God's refreshment and freedom brings. Our journey towards God, it's experienced in seasons. And there are things that are happening in these seasons which are really important for us. But sometimes we're not content, if we're honest, we're not content always to rest in the season that we're currently in. The, the famous English pastor, Charles Spurgeon, he once said, when our spiritual spring is with us, we are fearful of its March winds and April showers. But when it is gone and we are parched with summer heat, we wish we had the winds and the showers back again. So too, when autumn comes, we mistake ripening for decaying and mournfully wish the roses of summer would return. While all through winter, we are sighing for those summer hours we once enjoyed and those mellow autumn fruits, which were so sweet to our taste. So often, when we're in the midst of a season, it's so easy to see what's wrong with it, right? And it's so hard to see what's right. But when this season goes, we have this tendency just to kind of look back with nostalgia. It's like, oh, I missed that. And then we judge our new season by the things that have come before. It's like we're not content to experience the season that we're actually in. But there's an invitation for us to receive each season as it comes. Not to judge it in the light of what's come before, but instead to embrace it for the season that it is. Trusting that God is with us in each season, and he's doing something important in every season. Because whether we're sowing or whether we're reaping, God is with us in this moment. and That's never going to change. That's never going to change. He's always going to be with us. And there's an invitation for us to rediscover his goodness now. And this season we're in, whichever season it is. Every year, these pilgrims would go to Jerusalem repeating this song. It was their road trip playlist, right? And every time they sang this song, the song would take on even more meaning than before. Because they'd lived through yet another season of God's work in their midst. Ten ten years in the life of this church is something worth celebrating. And we will be celebrating it a little bit more today and definitely next year too. But ten years is just a drop in the ocean. It's just a drop in the ocean. What will this church recall to mind when singing this song in yet another ten years' time? Or in twenty? Or in fifty? Or a hundred? What will this church sing about and recall to mind regarding the wonderful works and deeds of the Lord? In this season we've been going through in our church, God has been doing a work in our midst. And it's been difficult to name what this season has been. 
It's been difficult to name it, and I certainly don't think this was the season anyone expected or hoped for. And I don't know how to truly mark and discern the shifting of our spiritual seasons. But while we might long for a different season, for that golden glow of yesterday or or for the the hoped-for promise of tomorrow, God is inviting us to experience him here, now. And to recall to mind how he's been at work in our lives already. The pilgrims to Jerusalem recalled to mind God's unexpected work to free them from Babylon. And on our journey, we remember Jesus. We remember Jesus and his unexpected journey to the cross. Because at the end of the day, that's what this whole church thing is about. Because Jesus was the ultimate one who went through exile, and he suffered captivity in order to bring us true freedom. He was the one who journeyed the road to the cross to show us that we are never alone. You see, friends, we don't walk this journey alone. We we walk it with the one who has already gone before us. And the ups and the downs, the tears and the songs of joy, he has dignified each and every single moment because he is the man of sorrows who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that we could be with him. Friends, we are on a journey together. The journey of growing closer to God and pursuing after him. Of growing closer to Jesus and knowing him. It's navigating the ups and the downs of life, walking through an agave amidst the dryness and the rain and the feelings of closeness and distance from God, and still pressing on. And we can keep pressing on, because we know where our journey is heading. Before the service, when we were praying, uh, someone had this beautiful image, just kind of owning the fact that it's been a messy 10 years with bumps and and twists and turns. But then they saw this, this woman dressed all in white, who received a bouquet from her groom, Christ, the church. Christ, she was the church. He is Christ, her groom. She's her, her, the bride. And that's, that's where we're going. She'd been given this new white garment. Yeah, it had been messy, it had been stained again, but he gave her a new white garment. That's what he does to the church. He keeps washing us clean and presenting us new before him. So that one day we will arrive before him and be with him. Isaiah 38, 35, verse 10, it, 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 that chapter in Isaiah, it ends with this. And I want to end with this too. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Friends, Jesus is already drawing us closer to himself. And he's walking with us on the way. And in Jesus, we have a living hope for this journey of life, this journey of faith. And we will arrive one day. We will arrive and see Jesus face to face. And everlasting joy will crown our heads, and gladness and joy will overtake us. And sorrow and sighing, it will flee away. Friends, that's where we're going. That's the journey that we are on. So may this psalm be a song for our journey. As we look and remember what he has done and long for him to come and do it again. Let's pray.